Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. So we are continuing on the year of the Bible. It's been such a great journey. We began in, the, in Genesis. We began in the garden. We began as man fell. And so we've been through a journey of really seeing the heart of God. We've seen God's heart in the Old Testament. We've seen the purpose of why the law, why the, why the tabernacle, why, uh, why Moses, why promised land, why, what, what is all that about? And we've been on a journey. And so we've, we've made it into the New Testament. We've seen Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. But today is a really, I think, really important moment in the life of Jesus. And just to give a back story or back context of where we're gonna be today, leading up to our passage today, Jesus has been ministering. So the disciples have seen him ministering, they've seen him uh, take authority over the storm, they've seen him do miracles, they've seen him cast out demons, they've seen him restore hope, they've seen him uh, bring clarity to the religious leaders and challenge them, they've seen his ability to teach and the authority which he spoke with, and in John chapter two, verse four, Jesus, he, he performed his first miracle, but then it comes, he says this phrase. He says that his hour had not yet come. In other words, Jesus, it wasn't time yet for the fulfillment of Jesus and the purpose of why he, why he came to die on a cross and to, and to raise from the dead. It wasn't time yet. So this was about a, a timing thing. This is about, it wasn't time for Jesus to step into and perform why God sent his son. And then again in chapter 7 and in 8, he said his hour had not, had not yet come. Then in chapter 12, he says, my hour is coming. It's not here yet. Then in chapter 17, Jesus says, the hour has come. I want us to read John chapter 17 today. There's some things in here that I believe God deeply wants to speak to us about and challenge us in areas because as I leaned into, into this this week, it went a different direction than what I had anticipated. And I believe it's really because God is speaking to us in a, in a fresh new way regarding this chapter in John 17. So I'm going to begin. Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you've gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those who you've gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. So remember in this past where we continue, this is Jesus' prayer, yes, for, for other things, but he's also praying for you. He's praying for us. He's praying for the disciples. Verse 10, all I have is yours and all you, and <clears throat> excuse me, and all you have is mine. 
and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. He's praying for the disciples. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, I kept them safe. By that name you gave me, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And he's speaking about Judas. Verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world anymore that I am any more than I am of the world. Verse 15, my prayer, I want you to catch this for a moment. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, and they too may be truly sanctified. Now, I want you to catch this. Verse 20, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for also those who will believe in me through their message. So this is not just the disciples he's praying for. It's for those who are going to receive the message of the gospel that comes from them. He's praying for them as well, which is us. The reason why we have the gospel today is because these disciples preached the gospel and it went around the world from the epicenter of Jerusalem and Israel. It is now living right here within us. So Jesus is praying for us here as well. He's praying for his church. He's praying for, for all the believers. Now, he's, he begins to lean into something that, that maybe has been used in different ways or applied different ways, but I believe God has brought some clarity today. So he says this, that all of them may be one. Everybody say one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So there's something about this oneness with us as believers that because of it, the world is going to understand it's going to be a testimony that Jesus is actually who he said he was. There's, a, there's something about our oneness that's going to cause great revival. There's something about our oneness that's going to bring the nations, our community, our families to Christ. So he goes on to say, I have given them the glory that you have given me that they may be one. Everybody say one. As we are one. Say one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's something very powerful going on. In the beginning of this passage, Jesus says that the hour has come. His hour has come. I want you to understand this is not simply this, this just moment, this time, this hour that Jesus has been preparing. This is so much larger because the reality is this, that the, that is, is the hour that Jesus is speaking of is the hour that the entire world has been anticipating. 
From the beginning of creation, this hour that Jesus says it has come means this is everything's been leading up to this moment. Since the beginning of creation, the world's been anticipating this hour that Jesus is speaking about. It's the fulfillment of the promise from the Garden of Eden that God would send a rescuer, that God would send someone to crush the head of Satan, to deliver humanity from the grip of sin. This is the hour. This is the hour that Jesus speaks of when everything changes in the world. It's like a, a spiritual shift was going to happen at his death and resurrection. It's the reason why there was an earthquake at his death. It's the reason why the, the veil was torn in two in the, in, the, in the temple. There's a reason. This is the hour. This is the hour that mankind is going to have the chance to be saved. This is the hour that God's been waiting because he wants humanity to be back in relationship with him and they had rebelled. And this is the hour in which God now gets to hold his children close to him, that they can boldly be in his presence as we were today, that we can be with him, receive from him. This is the hour Jesus is speaking about. It's a huge moment. It's the pinnacle of what all humanity is waiting on. And I want you to catch this today. This is the pinnacle. And Jesus went to the cross. This is the reason why he came. And on his way in the hour, in the hour in which all has been waiting on, Jesus stops and he prays that we would be one. This must really matter. When, when the weight of all the sins of the world were being placed on his shoulders, our unity is on his mind. Now, how many know this? Humans have a problem with unity, don't we? Come on, somebody say amen to that one, right? Unity is a problem. Not just humans, Christians, unity is a problem. It's always been an issue for the church, always. But the reality is this, if the church unified, the unification of the church would be the testimony to the world that Jesus is who he said he was, as, I, as we've, we've just read. That they would be saved through him. I believe there would be mass revival. I think God's presence would begin to, to, to convict people and draw them to his heart. So if unity in, let's just say our church, if unity in our church meant through that unity that our families would come to Christ, people's lives would be healed, that our state would be healed, that our nation would come to know Jesus. If, if unity is what is going to deliver people from the hands of Satan, how many know then unity is what Satan is going to make sure we don't have? But here's the question. 
What unity is Jesus praying for? What, is, what does he mean, unity? What type of unity in the church is going to attract God's favor and draw the lost to God through Christ? What is Jesus talking about? Because if Jesus is saying that if we're unified, that he's praying for us to be unified, if he is saying that, then who articulates what the unity is? Now, we, we, none of us here are the head of the church. Jesus is. And so since he's the one who paid for the church by his own blood, we should probably lean into him and ask him and make sure that he gets what he paid for, right? And that's the desire of Jesus, that we be unified. So how do we cooperate? Well, we have to determine what unity is he talking about. And I, I would also say this, that if Satan cannot cause disunity within a church, our church, he will deceive people to strive for a counterfeit unity that will not be a testimony to the world about Jesus. The unity that's on the heart of Jesus here, it's not achieved by a group of people choosing to agree on something. It's not like, yay, we agreed. It's cold outside. Yeah, okay, good. We're all in, we're all in unity. It must be more than just a group of people being like, okay, let's just all agree on this. This unity Jesus is speaking about isn't uni us unifying around the lowest common theological biblical denominator and be like, well, at least can we just believe that, that Jesus died on a cross? And then, okay, yes, okay, now we're in unity. No, that's not what he's talking. This unity he's speaking here is, is not... It's not about compromising truth, which sometimes that's what happens. People pursue a counterfeit unity to say this, oh, but I know they don't believe tr truth, but I want to be unified with them. That's not the unity Jesus is speaking about. Jesus is not praying for his church that he paid for with his blood to form their unity around their own opinions of who he is and who we are. The unity that Jesus is praying for is, is this. It's very simple, very straightforward. Is that we unify as a church around the submission to the scriptures, submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and submission to do the will of God in our lives that we would do it together. It's about submission and total commitment to who he is. This is what unity is about. Because if it's about our personal opinions, now anyone who is married, listen, many times Cheryl and I go, we're like, how do people, how do people have a, a, a marriage without Jesus? And the reason being is that Cheryl and I are both seeking to be conformed to the image of Christ. So when, when, I'm, when I'm off, it's, it's, it's not her job to correct me and fix me. 
that if we both know we are pursuing Jesus, then I need to lay down my selfishness because Jesus tells me to love my wife like Christ loved the church. So I love my wife because Jesus told me to, not because my wife tells me to. Say amen, husbands. Right, okay, good. Got quiet. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. So in other words, there's a greater purpose. So what Jesus is saying and speaking here is that the only way that we'll be unified is not that we choose out of our own opinions what to be unified around. It's about that we submit ourselves to the truth of God's word and to the truth of who Jesus is and that what it means to follow Jesus. So if a church finds its unity around how we all dress the same or we, we all have the same style or same ethnicity or economic status or voca- vocation and we build our unity around a hyper focus even of certain biblical themes that aren't wrong, they're just not the main theme. Instead of the truth about Jesus and, and if, if we don't build our unity around, around the truth about Jesus and we build around anything else, it is a counterfeit. It is a sub. It is less than the main purpose of why Jesus has called us to be the church. And what happens when that happens is that the testimony about who Jesus is to the world doesn't happen. But we are satisfied because we're unified around something. Jesus revealed in his word, what we're to be unified about. And what I don't wanna do is be unified around something that Jesus was not praying for in John 17. What I desire is that all of us together would understand that Unity together around submission to the Bible, submission to God's word and the mission of God. That as we pursue him, we begin to see the supernatural workings of God transforming our city, our lives, our families, our minds. That we would begin to experience all that we see in scripture that's possible when a church focuses their heart and their mind on what God has called them to do. Jesus was praying for unity around what it means to follow him, to know him, to submit to him, not to just know about him, but to intimately be close to him. He was praying that we would unify around the mission of why Jesus came in the first place. that we would unify around his word, that we would unify together around what it means to worship Jesus, what it means to honor Jesus, what it means to raise godly families submitted to Jesus. And from that, the world will see from our lives and from our lips what Jesus prayed for to the Father, so that the world 
may believe that you have sent me. The unity around church, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a restaurant menu. Here, can you choose these five things you want to be unified around? And you, listen, this is not the, it is, it is out of our obedience and submission to Christ that we unified together. So the context of what Jesus is praying for is what he told his disciples, that he was calling them to bear much fruit. This is just not one chapter that's just isolated. He's talking, telling them, I want you to bear a lot of fruit. I want you to, to, to bear much fruit from your life. He was telling them, as you follow me, as you submit to me, you're, you're going to see fruit. Whatever they ask, he says, will be done as you follow me. Imagine, whatever you ask will be done. But that's awesome. Jesus is speaking of this deep relationship that they have with God. Because now they know God's heart. Now they know God's purpose. Now they understand the reason why they're to preach the gospel and the church is to exist in the world. Jesus tells them even in this context, which I love, it ministers to me so deeply. He says, no, hey guys, listen, you are not just servants because servants don't know what the master is doing. I now call you my friends and now you are to unify with me just like, just like the father and I are one. Now you are one with us in the family. So guess what? You get to be a part of the family business now. That you carry out the purpose of the kingdom of God on the earth in every area of your life, you're to unify around that, and from that, you're going to see a great revival. He also tells them this, in this prayer, that he's saying, I want you to follow me. He says, remember, if the world, if the world hated you, or excuse me, hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. So this unity he's speaking of is gonna, it's gonna cause some persecution at times. And this unity that Jesus is praying here is the unity of believers who are all completely committed together to be followers of him, not fans of him. There's a difference between following Jesus and being a fan of Jesus. Now, listen, I, when I was preparing for this, I, I just, I really sense God speaking to me. So I've already had a day, two, three days to process this. So I'm good. Okay. So now I'm, I'm going to share it with you. But this is incredibly challenging because what Jesus is talking about is followers who are unified with why Jesus died and created the church. He's not talking about fans. Now, listen, fans are fickle. Their loyalty is based off of preferences, their own opinions. And when it's difficult, fans go into hiding. Fans of Jesus desire to have all the promises. Now, hear my heart today. This is what I just believe God's speaking. And so fans of Jesus desire to have all the promises of Jesus without the commitment to the relationship with him. We like him, he's cool. We listen to Caleb. 
If someone asked, are you following Jesus? We say, yeah. But many times, the church is made up of fans of Jesus. In other words, they have the knowledge, fans have the knowledge of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And as I prepared, I, as, I, as I thought about the spiritual, I want you to think about this with me this morning. As you think about the spiritual condition of our churches, just think about it. Think about the spiritual condition of our families. Gathering in these churches. Could it be that our church buildings are stadiums full of fans of Jesus, but not followers of him? As I was writing this, I was reminded of a book I heard a while ago, and it's by a pastor named Kyle Eidelman. He's a pastor from Kentucky. He wrote a book, 2010, titled, Not a Fan. And listen to what he writes. He says, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. As you read Jesus' teaching, he, he gathered great crowds, thousands and thousands of people. But when he started teaching about things that were difficult, about following him, a bunch of them left. They probably said things like this, I don't know if this is a safe space for me to be right now. I like Jesus. I'm a fan of him. But now he's asking something from me. And it says that they, they left. And what remained were the followers of Jesus. Christian unity, friends, is a unity that's formed by our relationship and our submission to Jesus. And it's also about the unity of our mission and our purpose. When I started leading here six years ago, the number one question I got, what's your vision, Jason? What's your vision, Jason? What's your vision, Jason? What's your vision, Jason? Now, I, I'm just, just how I'm wired. I'm, I, I really strive to be a purist of following Jesus, but I thought, who gives a rip what my vision is? They were, yeah, but what's, 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 what are you passionate about? I, I, Jesus? I don't, I don't. I, the question is, what is Jesus' vision for the church? Because I'm an under-shepherd to the great shepherd, I am a steward to the kingdom of God and to this house. My opinion matters very little. So it's important we understand Jesus was praying about something specifically here. He didn't say, hey, whatever, 
whatever you pastors want to do, whatever you folks want to do, I just, I want you unified over it. That's not what he's saying. It is about submission to the scriptures. It's about our unity is formed through our relationship and submission to Jesus. So we don't, we don't sort through difficult things or disagreements because of who we are. We humble ourselves before God because of who he is and therefore we can be reconciled in relationship and have unity. The moment that the unity of a church is replaced by something that is less than what Jesus intended it to be is the moment that you're going to have division, division, two visions. And it'll be based off of preference. And yes, I understand there are, there are things we, we seek to desire. We, you know, yes, I get that. There's nothing wrong with, with some pre- preferences, but the main vision is to be the heart of Jesus. It's to be the mission of Jesus. And the unity that Jesus prays for is that we would not just believe in Jesus, but we would follow him. And as believers walk in their unity with one another in submission to Christ, the closer we get to Christ, the more his desires become the center of our desires. And when God's desire becomes the church's desire, then the world will be transformed and impacted by the church because the church is about the mission and purpose of God because they know the mission of God because they have been with with Jesus. It's like when, when the disciples were being described by someone on the outside, they said, I don't know about those those 12 disciples, but what I do know is they have the marks that they have been with Jesus. There's something about their life that's different. They've been with Jesus. And when the church is is about being with Jesus, seeking Jesus, submitting to Jesus, when we all agree the scripture is how we live our lives to the best of our ability and the grace of God is how we carry it out. If we believe that, then my opinion doesn't matter and yours doesn't either. The only opinion that matters is what does God say? And then we go, okay, we should probably do that. We should probably follow him. But the rock bottom foundational baseline of the church is that we would all have the same vision and mission that's articulated by Jesus and we would be unified around that. Disunity, again, in the church happens. Listen, if if Satan can't cause disunity because of really, you know, sinful things in our lives, which it happens, he will cause it through other visions for the church. Well, how come we don't do this? Because I want this. And how come we don't do this? Because I want that. But a real church really does this. And a real church really does that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with those things, whatever that may be. The issue is 
When Jesus and submission to him and submission to his scriptures are not the number one thing, things get kind of weird. And people divide. If every person of a church, let's say of our church, is willing to ask, what does the Bible say? And then commit to the power of the Holy Spirit to obey it. No matter what, no matter what, that church will experience incredible unity. And where that submission to the word is and submission to Christ is, you'll find a church that's thriving. Where that, where that is not at the center, you will find gossip, conflict, selfishness, bitter attitudes. But where Christ is the one we follow, where Christ is the one we worship, where his word is what we do our best to serve, where we are familiar with his word and him. That is the church that he will be planting seeds that we will one day harvest from our community, from our families, from our lives. And that's what I believe Jesus is saying so that the world would know that I am who the Father said I am and that I am the Messiah, that I am the one that all should serve, that I have come to save the world and to seek and save that which was lost. Every morning, every Sunday morning, I'm, I'm amazed when I look out over you beautiful people. <laughs> he goes, stop it. Oh, that's okay. I, I, I am. Because I see surgeons. I see doctors. I see scientists. I see carpenters. I see school teachers, management, business owners, retirees, moms, dad, husbands, wives. I mean, we don't, we don't like the same sports teams here. We don't, have, we don't have the same hobbies. We fluctuate in age vastly here. And I think there is no reason at all for you to sit here in the same room and listen to me unless I'm teaching something that is not of me. It's the teachings of the truth about Jesus Christ that our Messiah that is revealed in the scriptures. We gather from all different walks of life because we understand that we are sinners deserving God's punishment. But we have received God's grace and now we're saints. And because we have been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ, we share something more significant, more powerful. We share something more engaging with our lives. We have the same common interest in Jesus Christ, to serve him, to give our lives to him. We don't compromise truth so that we can be unified. That's, that's not what Jesus is meaning. We elevate Christ, we elevate the word, and because of it, Christ is glorified, and then unity happens, and then Jesus gets what he prayed for. So, I just have a question today. This is a real challenge and a real kind of line in the sand. 
but it's a very powerful clarity. Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? Do you admire Jesus or do you worship Jesus? Do you like Jesus or are you committed to obey him no matter what? When the going gets tough, do you, do you look for your exit or do you stay in because you love Jesus? If you're a parent, are you desiring to make followers of Jesus of your children? Or do you want children who just admire Jesus and they don't really have to be committed to Jesus? Have you set an example of a fair weather fan? Or have you set an example? Follow me, son, as I follow Christ. And the reality is this, many of us, we, be, we believe in Christ. But have you made a commitment to follow him, to obey him? Now, this isn't about legalism. This isn't about, about putting things on you that isn't in the scriptures. No, this is, this is not what's, what's happening here. This is about us clarifying what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Do we take our cues on how we respond and react from the world? Or do we say, hang on, let's, let's go to the scriptures. Are we afraid of how people view us or see us? So we're fans, but not followers. Let me ask you another question here. Has following Jesus cost you anything? Have you had to give up your own visions, your own dreams for your life? Have you not instructed your kids on certain things because you, you didn't want it to cost their popularity? You didn't want it to cost their acceptance? So you said, that's okay. You can go to that. You can be this. But make sure we show up on Sunday and we cheer. Has your devotion to Jesus cost you? It's a very clarifying moment when you have an opportunity to sacrifice something for Jesus. You know pretty quick if you're a follower or if you're a fan. If you're devoted and committed or you're fickle with how it works out for you. Has your commitment to Christ and to his word? Has it cost you friends? Has it cost you maybe promotions? Has it cost you your reputation? Have you been spoken ill of because of 
you following Jesus? Have you been hated? Have you been lied about? Have you been canceled? Have, has it cost you? Or maybe are there areas in your life that you are following Jesus, but there are other areas that you know you're a fan. Have you given God access to all the areas of your life? Your relationships, your sexuality, your money, your relationship to alcohol, pride, your future, your time, your children, your career, your, your pain, maybe disappointment or unforgiveness. And when Jesus invites us to follow him, it's not come follow me and I'm going to, it's going to, it's going to, my pathway is going to cause problems. That's not what this is about. It's that actually we're going to find the greatest joy, the greatest peace we've ever had in our lives while in the midst of problems because the world will push back simply because you follow Jesus. This isn't about God demanding something from you. It's about God inviting you to something that could, that could allow your life to be everything that God created it to be, to allow your family, your children, this decision that you would make today with your own children, what you're going to allow in your home and what you're going to allow them to do and what you're going to allow them to say or treat each other parent or how you treat each other. This decision today could transform generations. It could transform our church. Jesus said this in Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. I promise you the decision to follow Jesus is going to require you carrying your cross every day. I don't react this way because I'm following Jesus. Oh, I want to, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to go there because I'm following Jesus. Even I don't want, to, I, there is a, a leaning, there's, there's a lust of my own heart, there's a, there's a thought of my own mind, but I'm, hang on, I follow Jesus. And Jesus, if you're not going to go there, I'm not going to go there. There's this understanding that in these last days that we live in, Jesus is looking for followers who will say, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. There is no sacrifice too great. There is nothing that I would do that would be beneath me. I follow you, Jesus. You're the Lord of my life. You're the king of my heart. You saved me. You laid your, you laid your life down for me. And I will no longer be a fan I'm going to be a follower and I'm going to do exactly what you was called, you've called me to do. And I can't do it on my own strength. But Jesus, my heart's desire is to follow you. Jesus says in Luke 14, 33, those of you who do not give up everything 
you don't give up everything you have, cannot be my disciples. Do you love Jesus with all of your heart? Have you believed in him, but not made a decision to be committed and follow him? I know we're all in process, but I just believe Jesus today is inviting you like he did the disciples who were doing their thing. And he says, hey, come and follow me. And they left what they were doing and they followed him and they changed the world. So Jesus says today, come and follow me. Come and follow me. So I don't know what areas of your life that maybe are off limits to Jesus, but I believe you're here today because Jesus wants access to that area. You don't have the power to do anything about it, but he does want you to give him access. He does want the act of your will to be, I want you to be in every area of my life. I want to make a change. I want to follow you. I don't want to be a fair-weathered fan. I want to be a committed, deeply devoted follower of you, Jesus. If we can, let's pray. Lord, we take just a moment and we invite you to reveal the areas of our life that need you. The attitudes of our hearts. Lord, I ask you right now that you would have access to every place, every room. God, we open up every door. We give you every key we've got. And if right now, if there's an area of your heart or your life that you have kept off limits to Jesus, just ask him to forgive you. Lord, forgive us for our own pride Forgive us for our own fleshly desires. Forgive us for pursuing the American dream over obedience to you. Lord, today, I surrender my whole life to you. The words, the actions, the deeds. And Lord, may we be a church that's united around submission to the scriptures and submission to you. May we be followers. May we experience and see what you prayed for in our personal lives, in our families, in our community. We love you, Lord. And in all, we worship you. We recommit, we resubmit, and we say yes to you. We allow you in every area, our pain, our hearts, our minds. We make a commitment that we want to become familiar with your word. We want to be familiar. We want to know you, Jesus. Not just know of you. And so today we humble ourselves 
and we embrace the great adventure you have for us. We glorify your name and may you receive glory in our church through our unity of submission to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we stand to our feet this morning? This is a very challenging word, but it is the word. And so may we today leave with this understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. If you can, lift your hands to the Lord, and I want to pray a blessing over you. Father, bless your people. Encourage them. Lead them. Guide them. Give them the discernment. Protect them from the enemy. As you prayed, I pray over them. Protect them from the evil one. And may they prosper. And may they follow you with all of their hearts. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen.